it's a constant journey. But the best thing that you could ever do is have people who are willing to be on it with you, willing to learn and hold you accountable so that you can get back to the life that you want, but a better life that you could have never imagined. Hello, and welcome to the Anxious and Ambitious podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm on a mission to change the way that we think about anxiety. Oftentimes, it can feel like anxiety can get in the way of our ambitions, and I'm here to tell a different story. In each episode, we'll explore how we can manage our anxiety, heal our nervous system, and conquer our fears so we can shine as our most authentic self, go after our biggest dreams, and achieve our greatest ambitions. You'll hear stories from people who have been there themselves and strategies from experts who can help you thrive. Are you ready? Let's do this. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Emily and Stephanie, the hosts of the podcast Cycle Chats, a podcast to help millennial women break the cycle, empower each other through education, and inspire each other to start changing the narrative of what it means to be a woman. They are both educators who are constantly looking to grow, change, and evolve into the best versions of themselves, and hope that through sharing their experiences and helping to educate those around them, that they can start creating the ripples to help the waves of change. I am so excited to share this conversation with you. We dive deep into Stephanie's personal experience with anxiety and how Emily has been able to be a support system for her, as well as diving into more of the amazing work that they are doing with women empowerment and their different channels like cycle chats and chit chats. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and without further ado, let's dive in. Hi, Emily. Hey, Nicole. Hi, Stephanie. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I am so excited for this conversation. And I have a lot of things that I want to dive into, but I really love the story of how you guys met and really what inspired you to start the podcast. So I'd love if you could share a little bit more about that. So I think Stephanie's side of this story is funnier than mine because she has a very different interpretation. So I'll jump in every so often to give my perspective, but Stephanie's is much better. (laughs) Hi, this is Stephanie. So, (laughs) so we used to work at a theater over by us. Um, The theater is no longer, unfortunately, but it was a really cool space. It had two different, it was an old movie theater and it was transformed into a live theater. So there were two separate spaces and I was ASMing, which is assistant stage managing in one of the spaces. And Emily was performing in the other space. And at the same time, every show, Emily would come out and she would come backstage and she would go in the mirror and she'd reapply this hot pink lipstick. And I was always backstage at that time during our show. And like a weirdo, I would hide behind the coat rack to like watch her apply this lipstick. Not because I was like, ooh, that, you know, I wasn't trying to be creepy. But backstory, I've been a freelance makeup artist for over 13 years now. And so I was trying to figure out what lipstick she was using. But I didn't I don't know why I couldn't like just go up to her. I think I thought like I don't want to like bother her during her ritual. Um, So instead, I thought it was a better move to hide behind the coat rack on our side and look through the costumes 
to like, like she couldn't see through the back of the mirror. And then one day she came up to me and she's like, Hey, and I'm like, Oh God, I've been found out. She's seen me. She's gonna be like, what is wrong with you? Why are you staring at me? I'm like, Oh Jesus. She's like, you're a makeup artist. Right. And I was like, yeah, Yes. Yeah, I am. She goes, great. I'm getting married. Are you on Facebook? We exchange information. And yeah, kind of just took off from there. And then she messaged me and I never heard back from her. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, she could have gone with someone else. It's totally fine. And then we ended up meeting in uh, a children's theater. We were both teaching at through a mutual friend of ours. And I was like, hey, it's lipstick girl. (laughs) she's like hey it's coat rack freak you know so (laughs) it was uh yeah and it kind of just it we both say that we were like cats and we kind of were you know a little bit not leery of each other but we were just very cautious um I think you know we both come from the same vein of if you meet someone and like two seconds after meeting them, you're like, Oh my God, I love you. We're best friends forever. Like it's a little, it it can be like that in the, the, the theater world. So we were not like that. And I think we both very much wanted to be friends, but also wanted to make sure things were very organic. So that's my side of it. It kind of just organically took off from there. And then, you know, the rest they say is history. Mm -hmm. So Emily, if you would like to swing in to fill in the gaps. Yeah. So it's true. I was applying that lipstick. I did not know that Stephanie was stalking me at the time. Uh, now I do. I don't remember approaching her with that much anger as she always does. She's like, hey, I'm like, wow, I really came off aggressive. Um, I thought that I was probably lovely. Who knows, though? I could have been aggressive. I also knew who Stephanie was because we share a very good mutual friend. And I remember when we first started to get friendly months later when I started working at the Children's Theater with both of you, you started to join our bachelorette nights. And I think because, like you said, we were cats and kind of trying to figure out like one another and our attitudes and what we were about, I think we were also possessive over uh, our friend. You know, we had both been friends with her for so long. And then the fact that there was somebody else now in the picture, we were like, hey, 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 you get out of here. We don't want you here. But it ended up being a really nice threesome between the three of us. I think we're very different people. So we all complimented each other. Well, that was another thing too, right? Is I kind of feel like Emily and I were so different in the, in who we were as people, but there was something that was very, um, I don't know. There was like a core value there that her and I really connected on. And it, it was like opposites attract kind of a thing. Like the right things were similar and the other stuff that was different was kind of nice that they were different. It balanced each other out. And I think we discover that we still continue to discover that even, you know, far into this friendship. And I think recounting this story is like a little bit interesting because I haven't thought of it in a while. And I'm like now looking at our screens and I see our cycle chats logo and I'm like this like random person that I didn't know a couple (laughs) years ago now is all of a sudden my best friend and like confidant in, in life and like sister. And like, she's the one that I call. So it's, yeah, I'm having a little bit of a out of body experience. (laughs) It's, uh, it's, it's good. It's good though. Yeah. My favorite part though, of our meeting is a little bit after we had been at the children's theater together, we actually went on a double date with my fiance and Steph's boyfriend at the time. And I, 
I had a drink. I'm not a drinker. So like one drink for me sends me off to Saturn. And so I'm drinking and I turn to my soon to be husband. I think this is the best story. And I'm like, hey, if Steph and I are still friends, I think I'm going to ask her to do my makeup for the wedding. Now, I thought I was whispering, but I was also drunk, Emily. So I was screaming the conversation, apparently. So Stephanie was across the table and literally goes, hey, I just heard everything you said. I would love to do your makeup for your wedding. And I went, oh, my God. And then I turned into my little snail shell and went back inside. And the next morning, I sent her a very long message on Facebook. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I feel awful that I did that to you, blah, blah, blah. Like, you are such a good friend of mine. And she, and we still have it, don't we, somewhere? Yeah, and I wasn't offended at all. Like, it was weird. I was like, no, I totally understand. Like, it didn't bother me. And so that kind of was, I think, the first display of our ability to communicate things, like stuff that could possibly get taken out of context. It didn't bother me at all. And normally something like that would have but it was the way that it was presented and it was her reaching out. I thought it was very sweet. I was like, you don't, I was like, it's okay. You don't have to apologize. I was just thrilled that you were even still considering me for your wedding. (laughs) I was more like, God, I wonder if she remembers and like, she wants to hire me. So, and I did, I did end up doing her makeup for her wedding and that, um, those are very special. Those are very special memories. And it, it all leads into what we do and how we got here. So yeah, I think that's yeah. And and then just like how cycle chats happened is a really kind of a quicker story. Um, we started a business with that same friend, and it was a it was an awesome idea. It was a period subscription box, it was all small women-owned businesses, it was eco-friendly, um, but it just it didn't it it didn't have the legs to stand on. It it crawled, and I think that's about as far as it got. And so we amicably all decided to dissolve the company, but Cycle Chats was actually created to be the educational portion of that box. So it was a space where people could go to listen to different uh, things about your period and menstruation and women's bodies and what's going on with us. And she just kind of, she kept going and growing and evolving and she became her own thing i mean we tried to make it what we thought it should have been and she told us what she wanted to be so and she's still standing on her two almost two high boots you know it's she's yeah she's a force to be reckoned with so we kind of we try to respect cycle chats as her own her own entity because it's it's kind of what it's become is like we're working for her, you know? (laughs) I love that. And I love like the mission and the really the purpose behind your cycle chats or what it has evolved to from, you know, being this space to talk about menstruation and periods to really all around women empowerment. And I know you guys are both really passionate about women empowerment. So, so what made you so passionate about, I guess, talking about women empowerment in such a large way on your show? So... I think because we both have teaching backgrounds, I'm still a teacher. I'm a college professor now. Women empowerment is so important and it was always important to me growing up, but teaching at the children's theater, dealing with girls that were 13 and confused and 
not sure of their sexuality or like how relationships worked. And they just had a lot of questions. And Stephanie and I are of that same value mindset of telling the truth and being education based so that they can get the right answers, because sometimes it's really hard to ask your parents certain things at those ages, but it's much easier to ask the teacher. So I think that's kind of where it stemmed from for for both of us. And then it just started really igniting my fire again and again as the conversations on Cycle Chats continued and continued. I was like, ooh, some of those conversations get me like hot and heavy because I just get so pissed that nobody is talking about these really important issues. So that's that's really big for me. What do you think, Steph? Do you have a similar answer? I've I always say I was just born a feminist. I think from the moment that I was birthed, which coincidentally enough, I had an all female staff that was uh, that took care of my mom when I was born. So it was just, uh, you know, it was right from the get go. I've always wanted to play with the boys, so to speak. So I always saw a very clear divide in my life between men and women. And I was raised to believe that there was one. And in certain regards, sure. But in the ways that mattered, I never understood why I was being treated differently based on my genitals, essentially, is all it came down to. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. So for for me growing up, I always was a little bit of a rebel in the sense that like I liked talking about taboo things. I liked debating with people and standing up for myself and fighting for myself and you know, and I wasn't always like a tiny little badass running around like, you know, smoking cigarettes and like, you know, screw the man. It wasn't like that. I it it was mixed with a lot of like, oh, I'm a lady and I need to know my place and I shouldn't speak up and I should smile and always be positive. So there were always that I always say like the masculine and the feminine kind of within me that were always at war with each other. And then one day I just was like, I I feel like they need to just be at peace with each other and learn how to coexist. And that's really what feminism is, is learning how to lift everyone up. And it's learning to speak up for the rights that we have just being born a woman instead of being told, oh, well, you can't have that because you're a woman. It's well, of course you can because you're a woman, because you're a human. So for me, it's always it's kind of always been ingrained in me. And then, you know, I always loved talking about all that taboo stuff. Um, And that was something that Emily and I found very quickly in our friendship that we were just like we loved talking about things that made other people uncomfortable. And we could talk about it casually over a cup of coffee, you know, and and sex and relationships and menstruation menstruation and mental health like nothing was off the table. And you could tell those were always even politics, religion, like things that you are told don't talk about it because everyone has, you know, that's what's going to start. debates and you're going to lose friendships. Well, you know what? If you can't have those discussions honestly with people, then I don't know that they're really your friends or they're the people. They're not necessarily where you are at currently. So you need to find people who you can start to have those conversations with. So yeah, for me, I just, I always wanted an open platform to be able to actually talk about that stuff without someone being like, oh my God, that's weird. And I don't want to talk about that. And that's too much. But all of a sudden you present it. Oh, I have a podcast. This is what we talk about. The dynamic starts to shift because they're not in person. They can listen to what the, those topics are in the comfort and privacy of their own home. Then 
they can come out and say, okay, actually, you know what? I do have a couple of things I need to say about that. And so that I think that that space, that cushion, um, it, that's what it does. It just provides a cushion for us to be able to have those conversations. So hopefully that answered your question. I think it did, but I also really got lost in the passion of the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about that just now. So, Oh yeah, no, I love it. And I love that you guys are so, um, I guess, vulnerable and candid about sharing these types of discussions that a lot of people would be scared or uncomfortable to have, even sometimes just with the people close to them, never mind, you know, posting it. So one of the reasons that I was so excited to have you guys on this podcast is because I know you're not only these like ambitious women with this amazing podcast of your own, speaking your truth with these impactful conversations, but I know you've also had your own experiences and journey navigating anxiety along the way. So I'd love if you could share a little bit more about what your experience has been like navigating anxiety, being these ambitious, powerful women. Take it away, Stephanie. Taking it away. It's Stephanie again. <laughs> Third time's the charm. I have always been a considered a nervous child. Um, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, I say I have OCD now, but I wouldn't say that it really interrupts my life the way that it used to. And for anybody that doesn't know, OCD is called obsessive compulsive disorder. It's just the shortened uh, vernacular for it. And um, it is considered an anxiety disorder. So it's, you know, it's like the big, the big sister to some of the other ones, like generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, agoraphobia, all of that fun, delightful stuff. Um, but yeah, so like for me, I've just always, I, I struggled with that a lot more when I was younger learned certain coping mechanisms, um, but I never really addressed it. I kind of was like, oh, you know, the mentality of do whatever it takes or, you know, be around the people it takes to get rid of anxiety completely. I'm just going to, that's it. I'm just going to eradicate it from my life. And I just would like to say here and now that if anybody ever tries to tell you they can get rid of your anxiety forever and you'll never have it, they're liars and they're selling you a scam because anxiety is a natural part of life. We need those emotions and feelings in order to be human. When it becomes a problem is when it becomes disordered. Anxiety is not, it's not the devil. Depression is not the devil. Those are all things that can happen to a quote unquote normal person. It's when they become disordered that it becomes an issue. So in my case, um, it really started to become disordered after the pandemic. Um, so kind of to rewind, my grandma had passed away. This was probably, I want to say maybe five or six years yeah, ago before me at this point, she had passed away and I was very close to my grandmother and there were other health things that happened to my family prior to, um, but this, it, it kind of tipped me over the edge. All of my friends had moved away for whatever reason. Um, grandma passed away. Parents decided to become snowbirds for the first time in their lives. And I was left to be completely alone. Um, and I was like, yeah, I can handle it. It's fine. It's fine. And I just, I started to fall into really um, unfortunate coping mechanisms. I started to drink a little bit more than I should have. And so alcohol kind of became an, uh, a go-to because of course it numbs you out. It makes you feel good and, and used with responsibility. It's fine. But the way that I was using it was like, oh, I'm feeling bad. I'm going to have a drink. Oh, you know, and that turned into two drinks and that turned into half a bottle and that turned into a full bottle. And at no point would I say I was ever like incapacitated by my drinking, but it, it became 
prevalent enough to where I was like, I think maybe I need to cut some of this out. Then the pandemic happened. Mind you, there are years that go in between all of this, but then the pandemic happened. And I think the things, again, this stuff when not addressed will continue to build and build and build. And I used to be like, I could energy drink it away. I could have a glass of alcohol, like whatever is going to make me feel good immediately right now, quick fix, I'm going to do it because it's going to make me feel better. And that was what I thought I was dealing with anxiety. And then pandemic happened, lost a whole bunch of jobs. And Emily, I say this to Emily all the time is we were kind of floating in a pool of uncertainty with a martini glass in our hand and it just was unsustainable. So I ended up getting a job in not my field of choice. And I remember there was just a day where I was looking at a piece of paper on the wall and I finally was like, I'm going to be 30 and I'm waiting for these like certain milestones to happen in my life to somehow like, I think that's going to fix everything. And then I realized that I was just throwing away my time and that wasn't fixing anything. And that those things, my anxiety, my sadness, everything that I was feeling and thinking, just the rumination, the bad thoughts, it it was all still going to be there because I wasn't addressing it. And then I just started to panic. And that is when I started to exhibit Um, essentially I ended up in the hospital twice. The first time I thought I was having a heart attack. The second time I thought I was having a brain aneurysm. I don't know. So, but anxiety is really good like that. They're master manipulators and it, it can, it can convince you of the craziest stuff. And when I was discharged from the hospital, um, the second time they were like, first time told me, go see a cardiologist. Second time they were like, yeah, you have, you just have anxiety. (laughs) Like they sent me a piece of paper that says generalized anxiety disorder. And then that was it. And I was like, what do I do with this? And then that's kind of when the spiral happened. So there was probably about a month or two of my life where I didn't really talk to Emily. I didn't really talk to anyone. My mom had to take care of me. She had to feed me. I was, I could like, I was, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I lost a whole ton of weight. I went from one, like almost 130 to like 110. And that's from, I'm, you know, I'm five, three, like I'm teeny, but that's still very unhealthy weight. I looked very thin and sick, Um, but it just, that's what it does to you. And so my journey with anxiety has been, you know, I went on uh, medication and I'm slowly starting to wean off of it. And again, to anyone's listening, it is your choice whether you choose to go on meds or not. I'm not a doctor. It it has to be a personal decision. Um, People are always going to tell you crazy stuff. Do yourself a favor. Don't go on the internet. Dr. Google does not have the best credentials. Don't ask other people. If you're going to do that journey, have maybe one or two close people that you can trust. Talk to them about it. Make sure you have a doctor that you trust that's in your corner. For me, I've always advocated for myself. My journey has been I needed the meds to get out of the situation I was in. Um, And now I feel like through all of my recovery and all of my exposures and groups that I've been a part of and therapy that I'm at a place where I can start to wean off of it. But it was a means to an end. So I needed it to help me out of that slump. And now I'm on the other side of it. And it doesn't mean that I'm like anxiety free, but 
I would say I'm like 90 to 95% recovered. Some days it's 80, some days it's 85, you know, but I've also had a really good support system with it. And until you've gone through that, you don't really realize like anxiety is not this cute little quirky thing. It's a pain in the ass and it, it destroys your life if you, if you listen to it. And so I'm on the other side of it now and I still have my days with it and I definitely have a different relationship with it, but I'm, I'm more me than I have ever been. And I, I have to contribute that to finally having, you know, a, I guess a soft mental breakdown. I don't know, soft, heavy. I don't know what you'd consider it, but a mental breakdown, everyone has their own definition of it. I don't think I'd be who I am or where I am today. And even with cycle chats, it shifted our podcast because we talked a little bit about mental health in the beginning, but we're real heavy on it now. And I find that what's been so great about it is not only the perspective that I lend going through the disordered anxiety, but the perspective that Emily lends being someone who didn't have that, but she said, how can I support you? Our friendship grew because of it, because she didn't know what was going on. She was responding in a way that she felt uh, that she had the, the tools for at the time. And it finally allowed me to say, I, I, I can't give anything right now because I don't know what's happening. And we both realized that we were both scared. And so how can she help me? How can I help her? And we have grown tremendously through this. And she has been a phenomenal advocate. And there's even been days where I'm like, just recently, she texted me. She's like, hey, a post was supposed to go up. Do you need me to do it? And all I texted her was, yes, I'm, I, I had a trigger out of nowhere. And it's something I'm going through right now. And it, it just happened. And I was like, I, I don't like I just need to get it out. Like, I have to deal with this. I can't shove it down right now because it's, it's coming up and it's coming up right now. <laughs> and she was like, without even missing a beat, she said, no problem. You got it. And I think in the past that would have been like, oh, what do you do? You know, but she knows now that like she doesn't have to coddle me and she knows I'm if even if I'm having a bad day, I'll still take care of what I need to. But there are moments where it's like I have to take care of this because if I don't, this is going to be worse the next time. So hopefully that answered your question. Um, but yeah. that's been my takeaway, my own personal experience with anxiety and I would love if you're okay with it to kind of swing the mic over to Emily so she can give her perspective on the whole thing as someone who didn't have an anxiety disorder. Yeah, for sure. I would love that. And thank you so much for being vulnerable and like really showing your strength by sharing this story, because I know so many of us are afraid to talk about it, even with those close to us, right? It's often so heavily stigmatized and it doesn't need to be that way. Like we really need to be able to open up the conversation. And so I love that you two are able to work together so well. So yeah, Emily, I'd love to hear like what it's been like for you um, supporting a friend with anxiety, especially not necessarily understanding it from a personal um, perspective yourself. Yeah. So for me, I, you know, we've done many episodes now on anxiety and, and mental health. And, you know, just because I, I always am trying to a educate us because I don't know everything. And that's part of the beautiful thing of having a podcast. I get to talk to these women that are knowledgeable, that are experts in their field. So sometimes I bring on people that like I really want to talk to or I think are will be very helpful to Stephanie. So 
that's a, a big gift that this is able to give the two of us because it's very therapeutic when I am able to bring somebody on that can literally help Stephanie and I. And they're like, I'm doing it for free. And I'm like, what? For free? I don't have to pay you for this. It's amazing. So anyway, my anxiety is normal everyday human anxiety. My anxiety likes to stem when deadlines aren't met, which is really fun that I'm in a partnership with Stephanie who usually likes to get things done last minute. But I'm trying to get better about it. I have not texted her an update on Mondays in months. I usually send her a breakdown of what our week's going to look like. And I have not done that for her for months. So and things are still getting done. So good for me and good for Stephanie. I'm also trying to get better with my personal anxiety because I, of course, like I tell my students all the time, I can't force you to do something. I can just tell you but it's it's your job to like go home and actually do your homework. And it's crazy how many of them don't actually do that. And then they fail my class and they come at me. But, you know, whatever. So when Stephanie was going through her breakdown, I constantly was seeing the levels of what was happening and not sure really what was going on. I could see that she was lying, but I didn't want to address it because I wasn't sure if that would be the breaking point and she seemed somewhat okay. So I just kind of let it go on. It, I think the pot kind of simmered and continued to simmer and then it just boiled over. So she was supposed to watch my animals. We were going away for the first time since COVID had hit to visit family in Virginia. And I don't know, probably two days before we left, Stephanie wound up in the hospital and she goes, I can't, I can't watch them. And my husband was like, I'll stay home. I'll watch the animals. I was like, no, we're all going. It's a family trip. This is what's happening. So got somebody else to watch the animals. Everything ended up being okay. But there I was so worried. I I, I didn't know what was happening. I was supposed to go away and Stephanie was going to take care of cycle chat stuff for that week that I was with family in Virginia. And she's like, I can't do it. So at first I just got really resentful because I wasn't sure what was happening, quite honestly. And I just thought she needed a break and was like dilly-dallying. I don't really know. But then she was in the hospital. So then I I knew it was a bit more serious. But I timing her in the hospital and she's like, wow, she's really taking this to the next level. They're like, listen, I got a deadline to meet and I can't do it. Can you guys just admit me and wrap some shit on my head, please? Yeah, she has a really good picture of her with her head wrapped. It looks like she like went to war and had like a head wound. Because on the second try, the doctor, the neurologist wanted to make sure that I wasn't having um uh it's a type of seizure, but it's essentially it's 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 like a seizure where you it's not a full legitimate seizure, but it's still a seizure. So there's a name for it. Um, but yeah, so they were running tests, but I literally looked like a, like a wounded vet. It was it, it's my favorite picture. We have it somewhere. It's really good. Um, but so at first I was resentful. Then I understood that it was more serious. So then I got scared because what we were like less than a year into the podcast. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, this is not great. I'm now like trying to stay above the seawater, but it's coming in on me fast and I'm going to get taken out. So I was like, okay, I I'll get everything done for that week. I'll make sure everything's, you know, done while I'm in Virginia and 
we'll continue and see what's, you know, what's going to happen. And I asked her, I was like, do you want to continue with cycle chats? Cause it kept kind of growing on its own. And I, I didn't know. I was I was really nervous because I was really happy with what we were doing. I was growing constantly because of the conversations we were having. So I was just concerned that A, she was not okay, and B, that our business that we had started and this whole passion project was just going to go right into the garbage. So I came back. I think things started to get a little bit better because we both knew what was happening and then increasingly, as my knowledge became more vast in anxiety and anxiety disorders from what she was teaching me and what we were learning from the podcast, I think and I hope that Stephanie feels like I was a good support system. Like every time I would come over, there was many times I would come over to her house and the minute she opened the door, I was like, what's the matter? And she would just break down crying and I'd have to like just be there with her during these times of panic attacks and just like be on her back and make sure she was okay and that I could, you know, breathe with her and get her through this. So it, it's a really scary thing to be on the outside of it because you don't know what's going on. And when it's somebody that you love so much, it's it, it's painful. You hurt, you're heartbroken. Um, I'm going to cry. Um, but not going to cry. I'm getting my period in five days. That's why. But um, I don't actually love I, I don't actually love you. It's just my period. But um, I just so for anybody out there who's dealing with supporting somebody through it and they don't know what's going on, I think just being there to listen is really huge and having your heart open. Don't turn to resentment. I mean, like, I know that it's like the initial reaction for humans to turn towards resentment during that time, but it's one of my biggest regrets that I have because I should have just understood, but it, I was just scared. She didn't know. And that's the thing, right? When you're going through it, it's hard to articulate what it is that you're feeling. And you also feel this sense of like failure and a sense of like you're letting the people down around you. And the best thing that Emily ever did was she supported me, but she never coddled me. And I have days where I still struggle, but she goes, okay, we're going to let, you're going to feel it. And then we're going to get to work. And that's the be most beautiful gift somebody can give you because the people that are constantly like, okay, well, you know, let's go back in the house and we can't, we'll cancel the plans for the day. You're not helping that person. You're hurting them. And I never realized that because they're never going to be able to live the life that they want. They're never going to be able to get out of their house. And it's really hard in the beginning and it's okay to have uh, safe trinkets and safe people, but eventually those, you have to be your own safe person. And that's where I'm at right now is that I will have bad days, but I won't cancel a cycle chats day. If I wake up and I'm having a panic attack, I've had panic attack while I'm sitting doing cycle chats work. I've had them during interviews you can't tell anymore because I've started to get better at allowing that feeling to come in and realizing that I'm still safe and I am my own safe person. And it's again, it's not like this like enlightened nirvana thing that I'm at because I still have times where I'm like, oh God, I got to go on a stupid mental health walk because I just feel like I can't get it right. It's a constant journey. But the best thing that you could ever do is have people who are willing to be on it with you willing to learn and hold you accountable so that you can get back to the life that you want, but a better life that you could have never imagined. I, 
honestly, I don't, I really, I mean it, is I don't know that we would be where we are and I would be where I am in my life without it because it has taught me anxiety has been the best teacher I have ever had. Anxiety is a son of a biatch and I don't like it, but sometimes some of the, you learn the most from teachers who you're like, oh, I'm going to show them. And they're like, aha, the student has become the teacher. You know, it's kind of one of those things. So yeah, it's a, it's one of those very tender uh, stories for us because it just is, unless you've gone through it, you don't really understand like the impact that it makes on you and the people around you. I know my mom healed majorly through it as my mom went through a lot of tough stuff with mental health and her family uh, with her mom. And I think there was a bit of closure and healing that happened because not only did she have to deal with it with her mom, but then she had to watch her daughter go through it. And she said, I used to get upset about certain things that happened in my life with, with your grandma. And you've taught me that I just misunderstood. And I think that's what a lot of mental health is. It's just misunderstanding people who have bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, depression, anxiety. A lot of it's just really misunderstood and no one wants to be coddled. Nobody wants to be told, you know, Oh, don't worry. We'll make all these like we're going to just pad your life for you. They want to be able to live amongst other quote unquote normal people. They want to be able to just have that be part of who they are and not all of who they are. Um, so, yeah, it's I think the more you educate yourself, the less stigmatized it becomes and the easier it becomes to just say, oh, yeah, instead of I have anxiety, I experience anxiety. You know, I had an anxiety disorder. I experience anxiety now. So it's, yeah, I don't need anybody to to call 911 when I'm having a panic attack. I'm like, well, this sucks, but I'm going to still pick out this zucchini in Publix and continue my day. Anxiety is <laughs> telling me to run to the car and go to the ER, but I'm not going to do it. And if I drop dead in this store, that's just what's going to happen. And you never end up dropping dead. It's a fun little Fun little game anxiety likes to play. It's like, hi, I almost got you. I was like, you almost got me. You almost got me this time, but you didn't, right? It's like prank wars constantly with your <laughs> anxiety. So then yeah. eventually, you know, it's just anytime it comes into town, you're like, oh, good old Uncle Jimmy or, you know, whatever you want to call it. So it's fun <laughs> to name it. It, it. it makes it a little bit more spicy. You're like, oh, Uncle Jimmy's back in town. God, ugh. He's only here for 10 minutes and then he goes away. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea of naming it. It allows you to have a different outlook on the anxiety because I think it's really easy to feel like it's your whole world and your whole experience because as this story has really unfolded and shown is is that it really does interact with every single aspect of your life, right? Your relationships, like even if you think it's only going on within you, it really does impact around you. So I think that's awesome that you've had so much support and and that you, um, Emily, were able to be so supportive for Stephanie during that time. I know um, a lot of the time people end up losing friends and losing relationships during these times. And I know that was definitely the case for me too, but it's so important to have that support system. But just as important it is, as it is to have those supports and to lean on friends, I love that you mentioned that you've now become your own safe person because I think that's so important, right? You're not always going to have somebody to lean on. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about like what resources or tools you have found most helpful in, in managing or navigating your anxiety. 
She whips out a giant list. Let me just tell you right now. (laughs) Hold on. Here's my Excel spreadsheet. So I would say the biggest help that I have found is a shout out to another podcast. If they ever recognized who Cycle Chats was, I think I'd faint. The creator of it is Drew, Drew Linsalata. And he is the host of a podcast called The Anxious Truth. He also is the writer of a book called The Anxious Truth and 7% Slower. Um, He's amazing. He talks about his own experience with agoraphobia, panic disorder, and his like, you know, his antidepressant withdrawal and like his whole story of his adolescence and how it all came to be. And he was a really successful guy and like he owned a company and he was just, you know, unstoppable. He would always say he was like a machine and um, anxiety got him. And he talks about the works of Dr. Claire Weeks. So for anyone that's listening, if you don't know who that is, she is a clinical psychologist and she essentially wrote, she wrote the book, Hope and Help for Your Nerves. And it is a guide on understanding what anxiety is, the part that it plays in your life, how anxiety disorders develop, and what you can do to actually overcome it and be able to look at anxiety in a different way and treat it differently. Um, But he kind of puts a different spin on it, a little bit more digestible, a little bit more gruff and forward. And I found him after because, you know, I I thought I'm just going to take meds and like, boom. I don't have to do anything. I just meditate a little bit and I'll be fine. I think that's what most people think, right? And that's why they continue to go up in dose. Um, and I found his podcast and it changed everything because he's like, yeah, just don't just do nothing. <laughs> like, Don't talk back to it. Don't try to fight it. Let it happen. You lit- The words in the, po- the first episode I ever heard was you literally have to let it quote unquote kill you. You have to let the worst thing that you think is happening in this moment come true, only to find out, to retrain your brain and your amygdala, your fear center, that it doesn't ever come true. And it doesn't happen overnight. He's like, you have to repeatedly put yourself into compromising positions that aren't really compromising at all. But in the moment when you're dealing with agoraphobia, you can't even leave your house. Walking around the block is a, is a challenge. You have to go through those uncomfortable emotions, retrain yourself. And that's why I always say that, like, I think people who go through this are a lot stronger because to have to literally put yourself in what feels like burning hot fire is the most uncomfortable thing ever. However, how cool is it that when that all subsides, you're like, I didn't die. Ah, you know, and it's, it's almost like a, it's like a, a pride. It's like you're, you're like, I did this thing that I didn't think I could do. So that I would say has been the biggest help for me in my life. I listened to the podcast. I read the book. I'm a huge fan of his. He's got an active community on Facebook and he's like, he's really interactive with people. He'll talk to people like, and there's thousands of them on there. And I've made friends. There's a girl on there that she started her own anxiety recovery podcast and she's amazing and she lives super close and we've been trying to plan some time to like meet up with each other and actually meet in person and she's dealing with the same thing. So it's like if you think your brand of anxiety is special, it's not. There are people who deal with the exact same thoughts, the exact same feelings they're going through and it's such a comfort to know that like this thing that's making me feel incredibly alone isn't. So I would say that's been the biggest help for me, exercise I started, I've always been a kind of a gym exercise person. 
but I really started to get into it recently as a form of exposure um, because, you know, when adrenaline starts to pump, you start to get similar uh, symptoms of anxiety. And so that's been helpful to like kind of get myself to that point and be like, okay, here are the really uncomfortable feelings. Now we're going to keep going with our workout. And so now it's retraining myself to get back to knowing that these are normal bodily sensations that aren't going to harm me. So exercise is really important. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say what you eat, you know, like it, a caffeine causes anxiety. It, it doesn't. That's a myth. It causes the feeling like the jitteriness of anxiety. So you again, your brain is relating the feeling in your body to anxious. And that's again, that's disordered thought. Um, and then just, you know, I would say just like eat, just kind of eating be- like better ish, you know, like take care of yourself. I think that's just anybody. Take care of your health exercise, learning to take mental breaks here and there. I mean, try not to be on this comical coming from me, but try not to be on social media (laughs) too much. You know, give yourself a day or two. Getting out into nature has been extremely helpful. Um, But I think the main thing for me has just been that group, that Anxious Truth group and that book. That's been super helpful in kind of guiding me through recovery. And therapy is the shit. I love therapy so much. And I think you have to find the right therapist. And I've gone through a lot. I started with one. She was fabulous. Then I kind of progressed on to a psychologist and she helped with some of the clinical stuff. Then I, you know, kind of bounced around until I found somebody that was a good personal fit with me. And, you know, she went through her own personal stuff with she's like I went through my own diagnosis with panic disorder and I was like awesome so you know what I'm talking about so finding just if you can afford therapy um but if not there are free resources and that that was the biggest help for me is discovering that really when I tell you it like totally flipped the way that I thought of things because I thought I had to be this delicate flower that if I was having a panic attack I couldn't drive well I mean, you can, you know, like there all of these things I thought I couldn't do while experiencing debilitating anxiety. I do now. And it, it's it's proven exposure response prevention, ERP. And that's like a, a form of recovery in, you know, like OCD. So kind of just I can nerd out for a second. <laughs> Again, cut whatever you want because <laughs> I could talk about this. Um, but with OCD, you have obsessions and then the compulsions to relieve the anxiety of the obsession. And ERP is the gold standard. So it's exposure response prevention. So you are exposed to the obsession and you get the buildup, the feeling of anxiety. And then the response prevention comes from when you do nothing. You don't do your compulsion. You don't do the thing that's going to bring you relief from the anxiety because what you're doing is you're trying to retrain the fear center the that associates the compulsion with relief that that you're still going to get relief and then the time becomes shorter and shorter and shorter and then eventually a thought can come into play you can have the thought still get the urge but the ur- you realize very quickly that the urge doesn't mean anything about you it does, your thoughts don't define you they don't mean anything about you because with ocd you could have all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff that makes you really uncomfortable. And 
you have to realize that those that anxiety that comes with it just is proving to you that you don't value that it's not a value for you and you're afraid of it and so it's you're trying to get relief from the thought that you could be x y and z or you could do x or something x y and z could happen so yeah i would highly suggest to anybody that's dealing with anxiety if you can look into erp or find a therapist that specializes in erp that's going to be your bread and butter right there it's really what's going to help you get through severely disordered anxiety and the anxious truth which is amazing i love it i read that book constantly i'm like god this is good stuff because he's great he's just the way that he he doesn't sugarcoat it he's not going to tell you what you want to hear he's going to tell you what you need to hear he's going to turn the mirror back on you and he's going to be like i'm not i'm not going to give you the reassurance that you're seeking i'm going to tell you that you have to do the hard scary thing and you can do the hard scary thing and you are supported through it but you have to do it it's like wanting a six-pack but eating a tub of ice cream you know, and and you complaining to your friend, I don't know why I don't have a six pack. Well, you just ate an entire tub of ice cream. You know what I mean? Like, what do you want me to tell you? Like, oh, yeah, I don't get it. I'm going to say you can't eat that, but I can't stop you from eating it. You have to choose to put the spoon down. Yeah, I love that. You mentioned so many great resources there. And I know you talked about earlier how sometimes when you're on your podcast, you'll even have a panic attack in the moment or while you're driving. And so what do you do or what would you recommend someone to do in the midst, like when they're actually in that panic attack? Well, the main thing I would say, at least what I do, this is all personal, right? The main thing that I do is I acknowledge that I am feeling what I'm feeling. I allow it to be there. And then I just keep going. I don't white knuckle, which is like, okay, I just have to get through this. And then once this is done and this is terrible, like I, I try to refocus myself onto the task in front of me. So if I'm driving and I start to have a panic attack, I just... I'll start to level my breathing. Don't do deep breaths because you're just going to hyperventilate. So I'll just, I'll regulate my breathing. I keep my eyes forward. Sometimes I want to listen to music. Sometimes I'll turn it off just because it's overstimulating. But I essentially just do the opposite of what my body and my brain are screaming at me to do, which is pull over to the side of it. In the beginning, yes. When you, obviously, if you're more practiced, you become a little bit more like, okay, this is what I got to do. And I, you know, there are some times where I will still be like, okay, you know what? I am actually going to, if it's a long drive, like a car, like a, you know, if I'm driving long distance, sometimes I'll stop at the rest stop and just kind of use the bathroom because I have to go to the bathroom. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to, you know, give yourself two minutes, right. To breathe through it and then get back on the road. So in the beginning, kind of allow yourself to try to push a little bit but don't push so hard that you break. You know, it's not a contest. So in increments, see how far you can get until you really can't take the panic anymore, then go back and that'll, and then push to that point again, and then see if you can push past it a little bit. And then if that's too much, you know, and it's like increasing the weight at the gym is how I view it is when you first go into the gym, you don't load the barbell with 300 pounds and then just start deadlifting it. You're going to hurt your back. You start with just the bare bar. You do a couple reps. You get the feeling of 
you know, what muscles am I targeting and how am I lifting the bar so you get the form right? Then you can start adding weight. Okay, that feels good. I'm going to go up and wait a little bit. Mm, that was a little bit harder. I don't know that I can keep pushing through that. So then the next time you add a little bit more weight and you keep adding weight gradually. It's the same thing. If so, if you're driving, you're having a panic attack, I would just say, obviously, if you are in a disordered state, there's a really good chance that you don't really have much of a life right now. So you're probably home. You probably maybe don't have a job. I mean, these are very common things that happen when someone first get diagnosed. So take, take time, take a walk around the block, drive around the block, then drive to the next neighborhood, go back. But you have to do it every single day. You cannot skip a day. You can't treat yourself to rest because you're tired. You're never going to get better, right? Because your brain's going to start going, oh, if I do this thing, I get to rest and go home and be safe. You have to train your brain that you're safe no matter what. So you do these exposures every day and then you don't go home and sleep. You continue about your day. You do other things that fill your day. So if you are, for me now, I guess the best advice I could give is just to refocus. So if you're driving, refocus. My hands are on the wheel. I am driving. I like this song. Your brain's going to go, oh my God, we're dying. You feel how hard, fast our heart is beating. I can't. My hands are on the wheel. I'm driving. There's a bird in the sky. I wonder how long those trees have been there. You think these cars are also driving in the same direction? Refocus to what you're doing while anxiety is screaming at you to pull over to the nearest exit and get help because eventually it's going to subside. The voice is going to become quieter. So that's, that's my, my biggest piece of advice is just recognize that it's there, but like a screaming toddler, eventually it's going to get tired and go to sleep. So let it, let it scream and keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you eventually get to the point where you, while it is uncomfortable, the feeling, I kind of do this thing now where if it's really a heavier type of you know feeling, I'll put my hands out and I'll just go, oh, I surrender. And then I just keep going. So it's almost like I'm like, oh, my God, again. And I, I, it's almost like an irritant at this point for me when it happens. And so I kind of just have that little mantra to myself of like, I surrender. Whatever is going to happen, going to happen. And then sure enough, I don't know, like 30 minutes later, I'll be like laughing about something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that happened a little bit ago. You know, it just kind of you have it'll eventually start to lift. Don't get too caught up in the sensations and the feelings um, because they're really easy to get caught up in. Just keep going and let it play in the background. Yeah. I love that advice. And I especially love how, when you were saying, you know, when you're driving and, you know, focus on the, which direction the cars are going, how are you feeling? And I know another simple exercise that often therapists will teach when you're having a panic attack is like, what are five things you can see? Like four things that you can hear, three things you can smell, or I don't know the exact order of the senses. Yeah. It's, it's very similar. It's a grounding technique to bring you into the present. And that's really all it is, is that You just need to be brought into the present because what anxiety is doing is bringing you into the future of what is going to happen and your lack of control. But it's like you're literally panicking about you not being able to drive the car as you're perfectly driving the car to the exit to the ER. You know what I mean? Like that's Mm -hmm. where like you have to start picking it apart and calling it out on its bullshit. You're telling me I'm about to drop dead right now, yet I'm driving this car just fine. 
I'm able to clearly get myself home because I'm quote unquote unsafe, but I just got myself home safely. So it's 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 being able to flip the mirror back around on it and being like, you have no validity in what you're saying. You're like an idiot. It's like a five-year-old talking about nonsense. That's exactly yeah. what anxiety is. It's a toddler that doesn't know what it's talking about. It's just going off of pure feeling. Yeah. And really in that way, you're, you're sort of breaking the cycle, like coming back to the cycle chats of anxiety, right? Because you're, you know, you're feeling that feeling, but not allowing that cycle to continue of, of attaching meaning to how is this feeling? And and then, you know, bringing it into the future, how am I going to, if this, if my heart keeps racing fast, what's going to happen in 10 minutes from now, I'm going to be having a heart attack or all these things. Yeah. So I do want to touch on your new show, Chit Chats, because I've just been loving um, listening it, to it so much. You know what it actually reminds me of? I don't know if you've heard of the show like uh, by Katya and Trixie Mattel. I could if- pass out right now that you just said that because that is what we modeled it after. Like the- I showed you, remember? I oh, said oh the two yes. Queens? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is what I want us to be. It obviously will never be that fabulous, but oh man, I'm like standing on a chair right now because it's so thrilling that you thought that. Oh, that's amazing. Well, the vibe definitely comes across. It's, it's, it reminds me of that vibe, but instead of just like breaking down regular or I guess not regular topics, instead of breaking down random topics, I love that you guys actually dive into, into more controversy and like debate with one another. So how, for both of you, like, how do you navigate the dynamic of showing up for this live show without, you know, maybe letting those little fears or anxieties get in the way of being your authentic self? So Chit Chats is Stephanie's baby. I don't touch a thing about it, except that I force her to do them on Fridays and record. So later on, we'll record today. Um, So that's the only input that I have in it. And because I think we're both performers, the idea of you only have one shot to do something is something that we've dealt with our entire lives because that's what theater is. You have one shot. You're not doing film, right? Where you can take as many takes as you want. One shot, baby. If something doesn't go right, got to work with it. We've had many instances where things don't go right and you just got to make it work. So it is not live in the sense that we're live streaming it, but it is totally unedited. So if we say something wrong, we just say something wrong because we're humans and we do indeed make mistakes. And we both have different opinions on a lot of just ordinary everyday topics because we're two very different people who very much like one another and love one another, but, and respect one another. And I think that's a big part of it is that we respect one another and their opinions. And we're not trying to turn one another into the other. It's just, here's my opinion on the subject. Like our makeup debate was huge. And it's something that Stephanie and I debate every freaking day. I was just her model for a makeup job that she actually got. And I have never had more makeup on my face. I felt so uncomfortable. Everybody is telling me that I looked so beautiful. And I'm like, do do I? I look awful. Like uh, Stephanie did a beautiful job, but I feel so uncomfortable wearing this much makeup on my face because I I slap things on my face in two seconds. She takes an hour to get her makeup done. But that's one of our biggest debates. And we'll still have that debate. So chit chats just really came out of the 
idea of, well, because we always joke that we should just be caught podcasting constantly because Stephanie and I will debate on our walk. Stephanie and I will debate over text message. And I was just like, why are we not filming these and just or like recording them and putting them out there? So the makeup was huge. What other big debate did we have? Dressing sexy and getting attention. We have very, very different opinions on that. So that's going to be a very controversial episode. And every time we do those really big episodes where I have a very different opinion than Stephanie, I I do get nervous. My my anxiety does spike because I'm like, well, people are going to come at me. I'm I'm ready for it. But nobody's come at me yet. We've had no trolls. So I'm I'm very thankful for that. Who knows? Maybe this next one will spark those trolls for coming. Oh, well, who, who knows? But I love doing chit chats. We love all of our sideshows. Chit chats is super fun. I don't know. I just I've loved our building this platform and building all of these different shows. They really all have their own identity and feeling and color and texture. And I think that's the best part of it. Yeah, that's so cool. I love all of these different shows that you've done. And something that I love is that you guys manage to spread your uniqueness across all of the different platforms. And I know like it can make people anxious to show up as their most authentic selves. And you guys are amazing at it, right? Like one of the things that first stood out to me about Emily and Stephanie when I first met them was their vibrant jackets that they were wearing and just their their whole vibe in general. So what advice would you give to our listeners to empower them really to show up as their most authentic self without that fear? So this was a, a long journey for me. And sometimes I still deal with it as 30-year-old Emily. But I know that 15-year-old Emily would have been really proud of 30-year-old Emily, like hands down. I don't think 15-year-old Emily could have imagined. So for me, I, I think it's just understanding that not everyone's going to like you and that's okay. You don't have to be everyone's cup of tea. I always tell my students that I'm either going to be your best friend or your worst nightmare and really, it's in their hands. Are they going to do the work and step up? Or are they going to let things slide and then come at me with a an FU email, which are always my favorite. But I, I tell them all that, like, I literally, we just had a talk the other day in my class. And I was like, I don't care what you think of me. You can leave this classroom and think, wow, what a bitch. I don't care. I do not care anymore because I'm so satisfied with who I am quirky, weird as always, and probably amplified now. I'm charming as heck. I don't, you know, you either like me or you don't. You either like tea or you like coffee. It, yeah, I know you were trying to say that before. So that's that's my biggest advice. Just be true to you and not care what other people think because other people kind of suck. My advice for how you can just kind of be authentically you and it's easy to say just be you. And we're coming from a place when we say it from going through it. So we're not just being like, be yourself, go out there and flash the world, you know, do little things every day that you want to do, but you're too afraid to. Mm -hmm. So a really easy example is let's say you want to start dressing a certain way. Start with how you accessorize. You want to wear that hat? Try wearing that hat. Just start with that. Do the hat and see how that makes you feel. Get used, again, it's that exposure. Get used to having somebody say something about it and that feeling. What do you, what, how does that feel? 
and then keep moving forward with it. I would say that helped me in my journey is I always had this idea of outward appearance. Um, and I felt like I was always trying to present myself in a way that was digestible to other people. And when I finally started to really dress like myself, it didn't just happen overnight. There's been an evolution of this. I used to play around with different hairstyles. I used to play with makeup, piercings. Um, I used to try different outfits. And then eventually it got to a point where I became really comfortable just being me and getting the feedback that I get, which is, you know, I think the hardest one to get over was my mom because she was like, what happened to my sweet baby girl? I said, she's better than she's ever been. And she's a woman now, mom. And she's like, I know. She goes, honestly, Steph, I wish that I had the confidence. She just told me this the other day. She goes, I wish I had the confidence back when I had the body. She's like, because you have both right now. And let me tell you, I've, I've, I really, I see you thriving. And she goes, and you, you make me want to step out of the box and try things. She dyed her hair pink. She put pink in her hair, not the whole head, oh, okay. but she put pink in her hair. And she's like, I just, I always wanted to do those things, but I was too afraid to do them. And you're kind of helping me get through that. So I would say that do it, do it for you because you never know who you're going to inspire. And I think 15-year-old me imagined me now, which is really weird because she used to imagine me to be able to have confidence to get through things. And now I just imagine myself because <laughs> here I am in the flesh. It's everything that I visualized in my head is like in person. The only thing that's not there yet is the tattoos, but those are expensive when we're working on it. So and I would say just take baby steps, do little things that make you uncomfortable every day. And I promise you, you eventually you'll be like, why was I so scared of that? But you have to you got to start somewhere. So I would say the smaller, the better. And then eventually you can go for the gusto. Don't do what I did and like pierce your nose in three different spots in a course of like a month. <laughs> that's a little excessive, but that's my personal journey. Hey, but hey, if it fits, if it fits you and you like it, go for it. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Follow your own unique journey, wherever that may take you and baby steps for sure. Like this whole idea we've been speaking about throughout the conversation of like gaining genuine exposure, right? You don't have to go all the way in right yeah. away, be fully yourself right away, face the panic attack all alone on the road right away, right? Yeah. You know, so that's awesome. So where can our listeners find more about you guys and connect with you ladies? So you can find us on our amazing website that I sat and watched Stephanie make. Uh, I whipped her as she did it. She did a great job, though. Like yeah, exactly. Uh, that is www.cyclechats.com. Stephanie also just revamped it. I made her do that within the last month. So that looks nice and pretty. And you can find us on Instagram at cyclechats, all lowercase, no space. Please slide into our DMs. Really do mean that. We love talking to people. That's what helps break barriers is just conversations. And where else? Oh, and then you can find us on YouTube, right? At Chit Chat or Chit Chats with Cycle Chats, but you can find us at Cycle Chats on, on YouTube where you'll be able to find all of our videos. And then there's some some of our past uh, episodes. It's just I have to get back up to revamping and 
putting in the old episodes of the podcast on YouTube. But And then our podcast is available on all major and minor platforms for podcasting and on our website. We have so much there. So definitely go check that out. Amazing. And I will be sure to put the links to all of those in the description below so that you guys can find them easily. Um, again, ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an amazing conversation and I know it's going to inspire so many people who are listening. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with us until the end of this episode. I really hope that you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, it would mean the world if you could leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. It really helps this podcast to grow so that it can get in front of more amazing, anxious, and ambitious people just like you. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.